Welcome to the Exponential Podcast, where we help you live the life of a multiplier. Our mission is to empower you to take your life, leadership, and impact to the next level. In each episode, we'll explore strategies and insights to help you multiply your influence and calling in the world for Jesus. Today's episode is from Exponential 2023's Global Conference in Orlando, where we brought together some of the world's top leaders and innovators to share their insights and expertise. To experience more conversations like this, be sure to check out our upcoming events at Exponential.org. Hello and welcome to this breakout conversation. We are so glad that you all are here. This is going to be phenomenal. We have the privilege and opportunity to sit down with the CEO of Exponential, Dave Ferguson himself. This is going to be phenomenal. That's only because I pay Aaron a little bit. (laughs) A little bit. Um, First of all, I also just want to acknowledge, are there any young leaders in the room who were at the Next Gen conference yesterday and this morning? Yes, yes. It was amazing. Uh, For those of you who don't know, the last couple of days, a group of about 200 young adults were over in the Henry Chapel having an experience where we were inviting them to be the future of the church. And it was a conference led by the next generation for the next generation. It was really, really exciting. And so we're so glad that you all are here for this conversation to learn from Dave Ferguson. Here's how this is going to work over the next 40 minutes or so. We want to give you all access to the mind of Dave Ferguson. For better or for worse, right? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off with just a question to get us rolling. But up here you'll see behind me a QR code and a, a code as well. If you go to slido.com, you can type in the code behind me, 1903623. And then you could submit a question. We'd love if you include your name because we would love to then bring you the mic and have you ask the question yourself if we choose your question. You can also just scan the QR code and it'll bring you to that spot. So we're going to do that. But Aaron, why don't you start us off with the first question for Dave? Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. We want to make sure that this is effective for you all. Um, Dave, I ever since I've met you, I feel that you are really intentional in the way that you live. I also love that you chose evangelism to be the theme for Exponential. I would love for maybe just to start there a little bit. Why did you see evangelism as mission critical uh, right now? And then maybe since we do have some next-gen leaders, could you just also talk about why it's even mission critical for the next generation as well? Yeah, Yeah, I can uh, talk about that a little bit and would love to kind of make this a conversation too. Um, I think uniquely, I think uniquely, ex- exponential has a probably disproportionate strain of either what you might call apostolic kind of gifted leaders, entrepreneurs, people who are zero to one folks, people who want to start churches. And so when we get together, I mean, we're always talking about movement. And part of the reason we always talk about movement, we go right back to Acts 1-8. In Acts 1-8, I mean, the last thing Jesus says before he leaves planet Earth, he's like, okay, here's, here, here's the vision. We're going to start here in Jerusalem, then we're going to Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And the way it's going to happen is my spirit's going to empower you, and then you're going to be my witnesses, right? You know the, the Greek word there, martyrios. You're going to be, if need be, martyrios, like a martyr. It actually means you're willing to trade your life for this cause, and it goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to ends of the earth. Well, one of the things that I think became obvious over the last several years is that the only way you can see a movement, okay, accomplish the vision of Jesus is if you actually prioritize the mission of Jesus. And so in Luke 19.10, I mean, that's where Jesus said, no, here's my mission. My mission is to seek and save the lost. Yeah. And even historically, historically, whenever there's been a great move of the Spirit or a great church planning movement, it's always been fueled, it's always been fired okay, by, by a passion for evangelism, passion for lost people. Or as we talk about it at Community Christian, the church I lead up in Chicago, we talk, talk about helping people find their way back to God. And if you, if you don't have that, you're never, ever going to get to movement. You're never going to get to movement. So as we began to, like, again, think about, okay, the 16% mission, as we talked about in that first session, if you're in there, and movement making, and we have to see, we have to be about the mission in order to make that happen. We also began to look at the cultural landscape, and I mentioned these things in the first session. I mean, we're, the church is, seems desperately confused about this topic of evangelism. Did you, do you guys get the, do you guys see that when I was up front, I mean, if you were in there in the first session, the Barna stats? I mean, how bizarre is that? 
where you got 46% of the population saying, you know what, no, I, don't, I think evangelism, not the population, 40% of practicing Christians saying evangelism is wrong. And then you got, you know, 50, I forget what the number was, 50-some percent saying, oh, but we do think you should be a witness as a follower of Jesus. And it, and it was kind of like, it's, I mean, it's just confusing, right? And I think the reason it's confusing is because people are really confused about this topic. And, even, and I'll even admit, too, even as a pastor, I find my own reticence, I mean, I'm reticent to even use the word evangelism. And maybe there's some things where you need to use different words to mean the same things, to be culturally appropriate and really connect with people. But I think there's also something down deep down that we have to really wrestle through and go like, no, um, this is this has got to be a priority. And so one of the places like Expans, we feel like we have the great privilege and we try to steward it very carefully, and that is to facilitate a almost really, it's definitely a, a national conversation within the church, but as you get to wander around here, really a global conversation because uh, people are, we have Exponential Europe, Exponential Australia, Exponential Espanol, and there, we have leaders from all over the world that are here. And so we are very uh, deliberate, prayerful in trying to select, okay, what are, is our theme going to be every year? Because we want that to be the, the conversation of the church. And it just feels like, I mean, the church has, you know, we're confused about it. It feels like so we call it a lost cause. I think some people feel like it's a lost cause. And we're saying, no, we have to revive this. Um, I'll tell you, it, this is kind of interesting. Um, so, you know Christine Kane? Nobody knows Christine Kane? <laughs> All right, just checking if you're with me. So she's going to be speaking tomorrow. And I love, I, I, she's awesome. And so one of the things I do before all of our speakers uh, speak is we actually, we write a whole point paper on our big idea. All right, we write the whole, every session. Here's what we want each speaker. And you may notice that when the speakers show up at Exponential, it's a little bit different than other conferences where usually if they show up at other conferences, they kind of bring their best conference talk, right? And that's awesome. But at Exponential, we're saying, you know what, here's a conversation, a big conversation we're trying to have on a particular big idea. We would ask that you speak on this particular theme. And so our big idea is lost cause, and we broke it down into, you know, five different, actually ten different chunks for ten different speakers. And... Um, I was, so I call all the speakers to go over it with them to make sure they feel like we've given them everything they possibly can. And so I talked to Chris, too. I mean, she's so awesome and so brilliant. Um, my twist on it had been very relational, a relational approach to evangelism, which she totally bought into. She's like, yes, we've got to be relational. It's got to include hospitality. It's got to include friendship, all those kind of things. But she gently was pushing back. She said, but don't you think we have to be more intentional, Dave? And I was like, uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and so when you, and so, I mean, I think that was, that was, that's already one of the learnings for me just from that conversation. You're going to hear that from her that, yeah, we, we, it can't be just proclamation, um, and that it does need to be more relational and it needs to include friendship. We're talking about evangelism. But I think I love, and I'm, I'm really excited to hear where Chris goes with this tomorrow, that it's also got to be intentional. It's got to be intentional. So. Anyway, that's a little bit about how we got this topic and why it's so important. Oh, and I'll, you asked the second part of it. Why is this particularly important to, you know, 20-something Gen Zs? Well, Bart has done the research on that, and some of you may be aware of this, this, that, I mean, they're calling Gen Z the open generation. And part of the reason they're calling them the open generation is, I mean, statistically, uh, those that are Gen Z that are 20-somethings are more open to spiritual things than their counterparts that are millennials or busters or boomers. They are the most open generation to spiritual things alive right now. And to, and to me, that's very exciting and very encouraging. And I, I think, and, and Aaron, you can speak to this. I'd love to hear your thoughts, or Hannah, on this too as well. Um, I think there's also, part of it is a different level of desperation. I think with COVID... And I think particularly the 20-somethings who over the last decade have experienced a significant rise in, in uh, struggles with mental health s- issues, that there is a different level of kind of not only openness but also desperation, which I think makes them very open to the good news and, and, and searching for the good news. What's your thought? Well, I think to that point, I think to that point, um, it's interesting. Hannah and I were just at a lunch with a pastor, Eric Parks, for a city in um, Elgin. And we were talking about just his way that he galvanizes people around a table. 
And it was really an effective and really inspiring conversation around um, hospitality, right? And so how we pair hospitality to evangelism is really interesting. But, I mean, to Gen Z, I was like, yes, I love hospitality, but Gen Z is also so hungry. And I feel like there's been this sense, there's, uh, I would, I would say I almost have a pulse that a lot of people are talking about desperation recently. They're talking about hunger. And so I think when it comes down to being effective evangelists in today's, uh, in the American context, uh, I would say we have to pair hospitality with hunger so we can be effective. Do you have any thoughts you want to add on that? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, the beauty of Gen Z is they're hungry to be put to work on a mission. And because of how evangelism, I think, was framed in past generations, a lot of the next generation have come to believe evangelism is what has happened in revival tents, you know, from the words of Billy Graham. Like, that is what evangelism was. And I think it's been really cool to have conversations with young leaders where we're talking about, these are a couple of the of the young women that, that I invest in. And it's cool to have these conversations and and helping them understand what, honestly, I've learned a lot from Exponential and the work that you all have done is that it really, it, it does start with getting to know a person. And for Gen Z, that's cool. Like, that is a way more exciting way for Gen Z, I believe, to engage in evangelism because we have a heart to see people and value people the way that you said. And so if we can connect the hunger of the next generation with the cause of Jesus to see the lost saved, I mean, I think we could see a generation more committed and passionate about evangelism than ever before, which is exciting. All right, let's jump to some of the questions because we are getting a lot and these are fantastic. Um, Okay, let's do this. Can we click on evangelism four? Yes, we can. I'm going to, this is so awesome. These there are so many great questions. Um, Let me actually go to the back and get the computer so that I can, or Issa, or Ashley, Sarah, do you want to, there's a computer back there. Guys, when you bring young women, you disciple, they actually do things like this for you. I'm just kidding. Um, can you guys get that? That'd be great. All right, let's do one that's on here. Mike, let's start with you. Where's Mike in the room? Awesome. Uh, we're going to run a microphone over to you. Jensen will run it over. Here's the question. Oh, we're going to have Mike ask the question. I don't need to read it for you. Mike, thanks for being here. You want to just share where you're from as well? Yeah, what you do and where you're from. Yeah, I'm with the Churches Planting Churches Network and the director of the Churches Planting Churches Network from Tennessee, uh, Cookville, Tennessee. And one word's not right up there, but it's what are some practical steps? (laughs) Yeah, I'm old. Uh, That uh, established churches can take to bring evangelism back to the forefront because that's kind of gone away. And also on the same thing, since we're doing church, we're we're mainly, my job's church planning is how can we make sure or what are some practical steps we can also take with our church plants to ensure that those churches have evangelism as one of their main goals or in their vision as they are establishing and planning their churches. So kind of two questions. Sorry. You want to go first? Sure. Yeah, I love this question. Uh, A few things come to mind. Um, I... I hope you notice too. I mean, one of the things we're trying to do at Exponential, this is different this year, is so we did create this Bible study that goes along with the Lost Cause theme. And so, as you leave here and you're like going like, okay, we've got, we really have got to take the next steps on this. Yeah. I think that is a, um, that's a tool that it, we're just giving it to you. I mean, actually, right now, media is giving it to you. And it comes with, there's a Bible study. I do like a 10 minute talk that's based on the same five sessions that we have here. And, I mean, I think that is a great tool for any of you to begin to use. Embedded in that, and what you're going to discover over the next few days, is not only are we talking about reviving evangelism, but we're kind of also subtly talking about how to create a culture of evangelism. Are you tracking with me how to create a culture of evangelism? So watch watch the screen. I'll, I'll kind of set each up session up. And what we talk about, we say a culture, okay? This may be more than you actually are going to want to, be, want to get, but here we go. I think the definition of culture, okay, is spontaneous, repeated patterns of behavior. That's so good. Spontaneous, repeated patterns of behavior. And see, Mike, what you want is you want people in your church 
who spontaneously repeat the pattern of being evangelistic. So when you create an evangelistic culture, you create a culture where people are, are spontaneously just doing that. And, it's, and if you do it well enough, okay, if you do it well enough, like people come into your church, they get enculturated into it, and they think every church is evangelistic. And they actually, especially brand new believers, they will, they will actually become evangelistic from the very beginning and actually would be what I will call, in, in, in a, in a, I'm saying this in a, in a kind way, they are unconsciously competent. Does that make sense? They're unconscious because they get enculturated into your church where it's an evangelistic church, and so they become evangelistic because everybody else around them, they think, oh, that's the way every church is. And, I, and what I've found is the way you do that, and we're going to show you this over the next few days, at the core of an evangelistic culture are evangelistic values or certain values. And I would say three of them come up to mind. You're going to hear two of them tomorrow. One is about people. And I already started stressing that. People matter. People matter. People matter. More than programs, people matter, right? That's the one value, just like to God. People matter. I think the other thing we've got to stress is, yeah, eternity matters. We've kind of strayed from that. That's a real deal. Eternity really matters. That's a, that's, 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 that's a, it's all throughout Scripture. But the thing you have to complement that with, though, too, is that right now matters. So people matter, eternity matters, and right now also matters. I mean, that's why Jesus prayed for heaven to come to earth, because right now matters. When we talk about eternity in the Bible, right, it doesn't start someday, it starts right now. So at the core of evangelistic culture are these values, and you have to drill those in, okay? And that's what we have to do. If you want to have evangelical, you have to drill those values in. But then the next part is what we call narrative. If you're creating a culture, so you've got values and then narrative. And a narrative has kind of two parts. A narrative is like language and story. So if you want to create a culture of evangelism, you begin to put certain languages into place. And like at Community Christian Church, and you guys know this, you know as well, we're both in Chicago, we talk about helping people find their way back to God all the time. Yeah, that's good. All the time. It's, it's, it's a unique piece of language that, uh, that, um, that reminds people of the values. Um, every, every strong organization or culture has their own speak. It has their own speak. And, I mean, for example, um, how many of you like Chick-fil-A? Like Chick-fil-A? All right. So you go into Chick-fil-A. You go into Chick-fil-A. You order your chicken sandwich, your waffle fries. They hand it over the counter. And you, and you say, thank you very much. And what do they say back to you? Exactly right. They say, my pleasure, right? We all know this. It's, it's a weird part of the kind of the Christian chicken speak, right? <laughs> and every strong culture has their own speak. In fact, my son actually worked for Chick-fil-A for, for like a summer, and we went there just to visit him, see him, you know, while he's working. And he hands us our order, and I say, thank you, and he says, my pleasure. And I'm like, what is with that, my kid? He got enculturated into that, right? So, there, so language is a part of it, but so is storytelling. So is storytelling. And we don't have time right now, but I mean, I could tell you stories about Doug. I could tell you stories about Kelly. I, I have a story I will actually share in the fifth session about a friend of mine named Mike that I got to see come to faith. You tell stories. You tell stories of lost people getting found. You tell stories. You have them share their stories. Again, what I'm talking about is how do you create an evangelistic culture? The values, then the narrative, which has two parts, story and language, and then the last part is behaviors. And... Um, this will, this will seem like a shameless plug. I wrote a book called uh, Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Change Your... Got to read it. Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. I think those bless practices are probably the best practices, okay, behaviors you can give your church that anybody can do, whether they have an evangelistic yes. gift or not. Yes. How many of you are familiar with the bless practice? Let's see a show of hands. All right. Let's go into it. There's not a, Okay, we'll, we'll hit them. All right. You guys still with me on this stuff? You're digging this? That's so-so. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Mike's liking it. Here we go, Mike. This is just for you. So the five blessed practices, um, they actually spell the acronym BLESS. B stands for begin with prayer. I'm telling you something. You've got to give your people handles of things that they can do every day. Okay? The B stands for begin with prayer. So you tell your people, you know what I want you to do? You pick, you pick eight people. You pick eight people that, that you're going to pray for every day. And if you do that, that counts. Because Christians are always kind of like, does that, am I doing enough? Does that count? Yes, that counts. 
And you just pray. And I, if I had my journal up here, I could show you the eight people that live in my neighborhood that I prayed for today. Wow. Okay? Most of them live in my neighborhood. One, another one of them lives right down the block. Eight people. So you begin with prayer. And all these are based on how Jesus did it, too. I mean, when you think about how did Jesus start his earthly ministry? He went out and he went and prayed, right? That's the first thing he does. And so that's what we do. If we want to reach some folks, we want to reach our neighborhood, reach people, you begin with prayer. Then the second, the second letter is L, okay, is listen. Is L is listen. So you begin with prayer and then you listen. Here's a, here's, here's, here's a problem when we're trying to reach people. We do more talking than listening. And what we haven't figured out is that probably the best way you can love people, the best way you can build a relationship with people, the best way you can share the gospel with people is to listen to them. You've got to listen to them. Listen to their story. Listen to their pain. Listen to their life. Get to know them. It's mission critical. And, and Christians are more known. We're known for our talking. we got all the answers. We're telling the world how to get it right. Mm-hmm. But what people really want, I mean, why, I mean, why do you think, there's, why do you think that, that there's lines down the block, people waiting in line, begging to get an appointment with a therapist? Hmm. Right? It's hard to get an appointment with a counselor or a therapist. Wow. You, you don't have any problem getting in churches. Wow. And I think part of it has to do with we don't take a listening posture. And so you begin with prayer, you listen, and these actually build on each other. Then the E, okay, of the blessed stands for eat. Stands for eat. And this is all about hospitality. Um, how many, how many, how many in here are married? Married folks? Let me see married. Okay, we got a lot of married folks in here. Now my hunch, my hunch is that long before you got married, there was a certain point where you're going like, maybe Mike. What's your, what's your wife's name, Mike? Heather. Heather? Okay. You had your eye on Heather, right? You're going like, yeah. Maybe she, maybe, maybe she'd be interested, right? And so at some point, you know, you struck up a conversation. And then at some point, my hunch is, and I, I know for Sue and I, our first date was at Aurelio's Pizza down on the south side, oh, yeah. down in Homewood in Illinois. What about you, Mike? Where's your first date? Okay, I'm glad, I'm glad Heather's not here. But for a lot of us, a lot of us, it actually happens over a meal. You go, hey, you want to grab coffee? You want to get dessert? You want to go to dinner, right? Because there's something, there's nothing like food, all right, to take a friendship, uh, take take an acquaintance to a place where you're a friendship. Yeah. This, this is my this is my new friend Yvonne here. Yvonne actually, he's a great dude who he's my new friend too. He, right, he should be your friend. He lives in Boston. We we have a mutual friend. He flew to Chicago for us to hang out, and we were just acquaintances. But over the course of about a two hour meal two weeks ago, I'm serious. Like I love this guy. I mean, I, we're, we're like legit friends. And, and think about this. What was Jesus' nickname? Friend of sinners. Exactly right. His nickname was Friend of Sinners. Friend of Sinners. What's that? <laughs> there you go. Okay, we'll throw that on top too. Right. That was his, I mean, and, and, and part of it, I think, because I, I think if you go back, I mean, I, I quickly I kind of threw out Zacchaeus in that first section. But think about Zacchaeus, right? I mean, how did Zacchaeus come to be a disciple of Jesus? It happened over lunch. Hey, I'm coming to your house. They sat over a meal. All of a sudden, he comes out. He's a changed man. And, I'm, and I think these blessed practices are everyday ways that you can equip your people. You begin with prayer. You listen. You eat. And then after you eat, here's what happens. They will tell you their story. If you will listen and you'll eat with them, they will tell you their story. You'll begin to get to know them. You'll know, like, man... They're having a hard time with their kids, or they wish they could get a job, or man, they're struggling in school. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're going to hear what's going on in their life. And so the first S is then you serve. And you find a way to serve them. You find a way to practically love them. Mm. And then the last S is story. And, 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 and these actually build on, on each other. So you begin with prayer. You're praying for these people all the time. And I'll tell you, as you're praying for people like, like my next door neighbor, you know, Ray and Mickey, it's like I'm pr- in Chicago. I mean, it's kind of cold all winter, so you're inside a lot. And so the first time I see like Ray and Mickey outside after I've been praying for them all winter, it's like, hey, there they are. I'm like a little too excited, you know. It, it, it there's something about praying for p- folks wow. and it pulls your heart towards them. So you, you begin with prayer, you know, you build relationships, you listen to them, you share a meal or coffee or dessert with them, you serve them however you can, and then chances are. And this is why I think Christine was really smart. Now, but don't forget, I'll be intentional. When they give you the opportunity to share your story and tell them, tell them about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And I think one of the things, and you, I'd love to hear your comments on this too, I think one of the things that's fascinating about 
about Gen Z, this open generation, is I think what you have, I think we're on the other side of tolerance. See, we've been, we've been a lot of, you know, Christian folks, we've been furious with people because they're too tolerant, they accept anything, blah, blah, blah. We're, we're upset about that. But now we're on the other side of it, I think, with Gen Z, where they are tolerant, but that means they are open to anything, which means they're open to hearing about the good news of Jesus. And if we will, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and then share our story, they're going to engage. They're going to engage with that. So um, I, I can go on and on about this stuff. If I was a church planner, Mike, here's two things. Here's two things I would do. I'd say either one, train your people to use the blessed practices, and I'd be glad to talk to you about how we can do this. We we train churches to do this. Or two, if you haven't started using the Alpha course, are you guys familiar with Alpha? I think the Alpha course because what they do is they also they create a culture. Where they're already praying for the people. They show up, not with the answers. They tell you that. You're in round tables. We want to hear your stories. We're here to, we take a listening posture. There's no dumb questions. They share, it's around a meal if you're doing it the way they tell you to do it. You have a meal together, right? And you get to serve each other and then you get a chance to share your story. But Alpha kind of puts all that together in a real kind of a program way. I, if I, in planning churches, those are the two things I would say are the most culturally relevant ways to currently in the American church to really reach people. Um, there's the blessed practices and I think I think Alpha. Yeah, that's good. Can I add to that? Yeah. Please I'm just Yeah, just I think one thing that I'm also thinking through just from a practical standpoint that has really helped me is Alan Hirsch. Uh, Alan Hirsch's content has anyone heard of Alan Hirsch in this room potentially? Okay. He does a lot of stuff on fivefold ministry, um, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, shepherds. And I think to add to your point is, you know, if you push someone to be an evangelist, that's amazing. We're supposed to be about evangelism, right? But there are also people in our own congregation that have a huge heart for evangelism. And so who are the people, I would say, in your own congregation or in your church or in your future churches that you would like to plant that have that evangelistic bent? And so when it comes down to catalyzing people around being effective evangelists in our communities, in our churches, into the world, in our business spaces, um, I think I would add to that. And then um, I think one thing that, you know, Hannah does really well, even with just young people, I would love for you to touch on this, is you, I, I feel like, are a galvanizer around discipleship for people to actually go into the world to be effective evangelists or, or movement makers, if you wanted to share a little bit on that as well. Well, I think the cool opportunity for Gen Z is that they really are looking for somebody to invest in them. They are hungry for somebody to see them and value them. Like Tanya out there, she is a legend in young adult next gen ministry. And you, would you agree with that statement, Tanya? Like, aren't yeah, the next generation? They're hungry for somebody to see them. And a lot of the young women I've gotten to evangelize to, it started because I'm a little bit older than them, and they thought it was cool that I asked them out for coffee. Literally, I have one of the young women I. Um, have discipled for a long time. She's now an evangelist and speaks to so many people. And she'll say, the reason she first went out for coffee with me because I was 18 and she was 13 and she thought it was really cool that I invited her out for coffee. And then for the first three meetings, all we talked about was her and her life and her middle school drama. And then about the fourth coffee, I talked about Jesus and asked if she knew Jesus. And I think there's just such an opportunity there for Gen Z, which kind of leads into the next question. So let's jump in. I'm not sure who asked this because it's anonymous, but if you want to share, feel free to raise your hand. Um, It says, what are you seeing coming out of the Asbury revival with respect to evangelism for that Gen Z generation? I I mean, a couple things come to mind. One is I think we've already commented on, I I think part of the outgrowth of that well, my own observation is because this generation's open and desperate. Yes. But I also, it, I feel like two things come to mind. I noticed in me, and I'd be curious to get your feedback on this. Um, so I had some friends who are on staff at Asbury, and I heard about it. They sent me some videos. I got, you know, so I, I wasn't there, but I got, you know, some, like got to hear kind of firsthand what was happening, and it sounds remarkable. Um, but I noticed in me that next Sunday when I went to church, 
Um, actually, myself and John Jones, one of the guys that was actually in worship uh, up in there in the first session, both of us commented on how we showed up with a different level of expectancy, a different level of anticipation. Did you guys have the same thing? And so I, I feel like the spiritual temperature has just kind of like gone up all across the United States. Um, even coming into this conference, too, I mean, Don Smith, who's the creative director, we had lots of conversations how we were committed to not manufacturing anything. We didn't, because, you know, you got a lot of lights and awesome artists and that kind of stuff. We're not going to manufacture anything, but we also wanted to be open to whatever God wanted to do. Whatever God wanted to do, we were open to that and willing. And um, I got numbers of texts from uh, leaders across the country saying, hey, we're really praying about exponential because it feels like that God's Spirit's moving. And I commented even in the first session, you know, when God's Spirit moves, I think it's because He wants to create a movement in His people. And, I mean, that's the thing Exponential's been all about. I mean, a multiplication movement. And it does kind of... It, it makes sense to me that in some way that God would do something special through Exponential. And so I, I feel like one of the, some of the things that have changed, I do think there's a different level of anticipation, different level of expectancy. I feel like that's even true this year at Exponential. I mean, as I was, as I was, as I was getting ready to kind of go over the, the queue to queue with everybody before the first session, too, as I walked by, I mean, people were waiting in line to get in to the auditorium like 30 minutes before it started. And I don't, I mean, we've sold out lots of years, but I don't remember people waiting in line to get in the auditorium. I don't remember that happening before. And it does feel like it's just, the spiritual temperature has been raised and everybody's just like, okay, come on, God, whatever you want, I'm up for it. And I think that's exciting. It is really exciting. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Let's try in this question. We'll okay. have a couple more minutes. Yeah, we only have a couple more minutes with Dave. Um, Dave, this is a great question. Ready for this one? Uh, many people leave the church because they are hurt by harmful teachings or treatments. Uh, how should the church approach repents and address those harmful issues? Well, I mean, at, at some level, it's really complicated. Other levels, it's very simple. So, I mean, the simple level, I mean, leaders should repent, and they they should make amends. And what we have happened all too often is they don't repent, and in some cases, even worse, they try to cover up, or they try to get back in the game way too soon without really kind of doing the work. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, but when we talked about, again, I'm kind of referencing the first session because I threw a lot of stuff at people, but we feel like exponential, we want to we want to serve what we're calling multipliers. And we define that, if you, if you caught that, we define it as a healthy, disciple-making leader who champions reproduction. We very intentionally put healthy mm-hmm. at the beginning. Did you catch that? A healthy disciple-making leader who champions reproduction. And part of that is because what we've noticed over the last several years, both in myself and I think also, I would say particularly in the next generation, when we talk about like the 16% mission, like, hey, yeah, we want 16% of all churches to be reproducing, right? Because that's the tipping point. That'll change the, the culture. That'll change the spiritual landscape of the United States. The comment that I find coming to my own head, and I also hear push back, is like, yeah, we want that, but 16% of what kind of churches? Right. <laughs> Led by what kind of leaders? So and I, and I think we've, we've, we've gotta, we, we've gotta do a better job of going, no, yeah, quantitatively, yeah, we're all about 16%, but wow. qualitatively, we want leaders who lead a flourishing life. We want leaders who won't, who stay married, even through the hard stuff, because I know it's hard, right? It is hard. We want leaders who are who are trying their best and have the opportunity to raise their kids to follow Jesus and love the church. We want leaders who don't have who don't have to kind of like sacrifice their own mental health, their own spiritual well-being, their relationships, or even their physical well-being. No, that because it just and this is true. It just makes sense that this is Jesus' mission. Right? And it's Jesus' mission. There ought to be a way to do it Jesus' way so we also experience the flourishing life. Yeah. And so that's, that's what we're talking about. So that's a little more than you wanted, but no, yeah, I, I, it can't be tolerated any longer. We have to aspire to something better. And in those cases, yeah, repentance needs to happen. That's good. Can we give it up for Dave? Um, you're free to go. 
So we're going to switch gears for 15 minutes. Uh, uh, I'll introduce myself a little bit. Uh, my name's Aaron uh, Barnett. I am the next-gen catalyst at Exponential. Uh, we're pioneering some trailblazing, some really cool things going forward for the future of the church um, and the next generation. And so next year, bring one, bring one young leader that you're personally mentoring or discipling and so that they can be engaged in the culture of just uh, how do we plant churches sooner uh, with young people. Um, and then I'll let my wife introduce a little bit of what she does as well. Sure. Yes, I'm Hannah Gronowski Barnett. I'm the CEO and founder of a nonprofit called Generation Distinct. And we're using conversations around passion, purpose, and justice to bring the next generation into conversations about Jesus, the gospel, and the Great Commission. And uh, we're going to be back here during every workshop session interviewing people who have just been on the main stage to, again, dive deeper into the conversation. And... Uh, uh, if you want to um, continue the conversations that are being have, had on main stage here, um, this is the space to do that. And we originally created this space because we recognize the next generation's desire for access to leaders. And so if you have a young leader in your life who might be interested in a conversation like this, feel free to bring, it, um, bring them back with you for the future sessions for the workshops. Yeah, so what we're thinking for the next 15 minutes, if you have a question regarding uh, Gen Z, um, I would love for you to maybe just raise your hand, and then we'll get the microphone over to you. And then we'll just have 15 minutes of discussion around Gen Z, if that's cool. Do you just define Gen Z? Yeah. Sure. Go ahead. Gen Z, the generational line is not agreed on by everyone, but most people would agree it's about 26 or 27-year-olds are the oldest. Um, I would probably say 25, 26. And I believe it goes down to 12 years old or so, and then there's Gen Alpha coming after them. Are you looking from an age bracket? Was that? Okay, perfect. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I work mainly uh, with those in recovery, uh, active addiction, as well as a jail ministry. And what I am seeing is this, um, the late 20-something, is like the first group that I think have absolutely no church background. That's what I'm running into. They didn't have a grandparent, a parent, uh, an aunt, and now the little old lady down the street is scared to death to pick them up for Bible school. So they literally have nothing. And at times I feel like I have to revert back to like using, you probably don't even know what a flannel graph is, but when I was a kid, you know, the Sunday school teachers used a flannel graph. So my, my question is like, I don't want to insult this group of people. And for the most part, like you said, they are hungry. They want to know, but I don't want to insult them. But at the same, on the same level, understand if I come at them, Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. He paid for all your sins. That if you've never heard that before, that sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. So where would you suggest, what is that approach to literally somebody your age that has no church background whatsoever? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. What's your first name? Kim. Kim. Can we just give it for Kim for what she does? That's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I think the moments as a young person that has transformed my whole paradigm as a young person of life, maturity, wisdom versus knowledge or advice is proximity. And I think you might be discrediting yourself and your own leadership and your own influence by not influence or inviting young leaders to just hang out with you. And so may, I, I sometimes say that, you know, the verse in, in the Bible that says, you know, some plant, some water, some harvest. I think Christians sometimes want to plant water and harvest all in the same moment. And so I would say, you know, with the people that you're mentoring or proximate with, you have so much to offer as a leader that I would say young people would love to learn from. And so I would say whatever that could look like for you, whether that's like opening your home, whether that's inviting to a lunch, it doesn't even have to be the church gathering. Just get them proximate to your life because I would say 
that young people would be inspired by you being like, hey, I would love for you to come. Can we go and hang out? Can we go do this adventure? Could we go do that? We'd love to invite you into this circle. I think young leaders that I know are searching for spiritual mothers and fathers that say, I'm going to invite you into something greater or grander that you've not even experienced yet, and then have conversations that kind of like blow their mind. Of like, wow, I've never really thought about that. I don't know if you're married. I don't know if you're single. or, But if you are, I mean, just think about the marriage advice or wisdom that you could be like, hey, have you ever thought about getting married? Like, yeah, but I've never had anyone ask me that. You would just open the floodgates to be like, I, I could disciple for 15 minutes around what I've learned as a Christian that even if they don't believe in Jesus could empower them to you planted a seed of what Jesus looks like right Um, that's what I would say so be proximate to Gen Z they're waiting for opportunity with you as a spiritual mother to say hey come and learn from me I mean Jesus did this with his disciples come follow me learn my rhythms learn my rhythms of grace so that's what I would say any thoughts on that yeah I think that's great I also don't think it's offensive if they ask for it Right. So you not wanting to offend them by wondering if they don't know that scripture, that's honorable. Not even a lot of leaders are thinking through that lens. And so I just want to honor that. That's beautiful. And if you are able to spark up conversations with these young leaders, chances are they will ask for more of what you have, right? So, for example, if I'm on a call with Issa, again, these three young women are women I invest in. Um, if I'm on a call with Issa and she's sharing an experience in her life that's hard, I could either say, oh, well, that's exactly like, you know, you know, Isaiah in the scriptures. And she might in that moment feel really awkward because she doesn't know who Isaiah is. Or... I can I can say to her, hey, have we like gone to scripture about this? Hey, can we unpack this together? Hey, what are you feeling right now? I wonder if scripture has this something like that to say. Can we unpack it together? Right. So almost more of a discovery together approach than sit down. Let's get the flannel graph out and tell you all the Bible stories you don't know. Because it's less about we don't need them to know all the Bible stories as long as they know about Jesus and now what the invitational life of Jesus is like. Right. And so um, I just, again, want to honor the work they're doing. It's beautiful. That's helpful. Any others? Hi. Hey, what's your name? What do you do? Juan Carlos Arevalo. Okay. Coming from California. Nice to meet you, man. And the most beautiful city, Long Beach. Uh, I don't know about that. Chicago's pretty cool. Uh, my question is, because we've been dealing with a lot of teenagers, and how do you manage, how do you manage to make a, a meeting with like the ages of 12 to 17 kids? How do you prepare environment for those kids so they can feel all comfortable you know listen to whatever you're going to do with them yeah uh, when I was a youth pastor intern uh, for one there's no junior Holy Spirit I have to say that in this room I think so many people write off young kids middle school kids because they're young and they're inexperienced Instead of saying there is no junior Holy Spirit and this young kid could be a leader somewhere in his society that he carries some type of influence. And one thing that this literally transformed how I lead to this day, I'm telling you, by this came from leading middle school kids. Um, how many of us in here lead a church of some sort? Okay. How many of us lead uh, our kids or our kids? Okay. Um, you know, Dave was talking about you know values, and what's interesting about middle school kids, young kids, organizational leadership, churches, ministries, businesses—they all have a mission statement. They have a value system, etc. So at one point, you know, I was reading a bunch of leadership books, et cetera, about being an effective leader. And one, and one thought that I had is, man, we 
we don't equip our small groups even like they're mini micro churches sometimes. And so I, I had this thought of what if I took the values of our church and imprinted them into this middle school small group that I had with these kids. So every time we meet, we'd have five minutes. Hey, these are our values. You know, we went through them, all of them. And then I said, hey, this is a, you know, climate of safety, tree of trust, we called it. That was the verbiage I used for these kids. Hey, this is a tree of trust. This is a tree of trust. Unless there's, you know, some things you have to report, obviously. But, you know, these young leaders would come to me after I created that climate of safety, after I saw them as leaders, as I spoke to them as adults, with uh, authority and empowerment and encouragement, they'd be like, go to their schools, and they would try to share the gospel, and they would come back, and they would start crying and said, Aaron, I tried to give it all I got. I tried to share my faith at my school. I got made fun of. But I'm over here like just like leaping inside for this young kid that in in my opinion would run circles around some of the adults that I know because he's going out and doing something even if he doesn't fully know how yet and so for me I I love young kids I love uh junior high middle schoolers because they are like sponges that moldable you know we are the pot uh we are the clay and he is the potter right and so how do we take the mold moldable generation and actually craft experiences for them to be um, seen, known, valued, heard, and then empowered and unleashed in those things. You know, some people say if you have a big macro talk and you give it in um, 30 minutes and people don't really understand, did you really spend a lot of time of crafting it? You know, some people say that it takes even longer or to, longer of a time to craft a really great talk that's shorter. And so for me, with the next generation is, how do we craft an experience and environment for them to see, feel known, seen, valued, heard, so that they can go out into their society? And then when they come back, create that climate of saying safety that says, hey, we see you. We're so proud of you. I'm so thankful that you're like learning what we're trying to teach here. So break it down for them to be able to chew on it. Yeah. Any okay. thoughts on that? No, okay. okay. Yeah, maybe I would just give one more thing then is I think the best thing we can do for the next generation is let them lead and let them fail. When I was 17, my lead pastor saw leadership ability in me and gave me opportunity, and I was far from qualified. And it probably wasn't a really smart choice, but it was a discipleship choice. And sometimes we need to make the discipleship choice, not the strategic choice. I could probably find a better speaker to, to put on the stage. But the discipleship choice is sometimes to put a young leader who's never spoken before, but they've been called to it. So I'm going to make the discipleship choice, not the strategic choice. And I think if we want to see the next generation buy into our churches, it's because we're going to give them opportunity and platform and influence. Not that we have to sell them on an actual platform, a platform meaning we have to give them a space to impact another life. Um, let's just not get, let them fill the roles where they just have to hold a sign or rock a baby. That's fine if they feel called to that. But how are we giving them influence in our churches? How are we listening to what kind of churches they want to be a part of? So make the discipleship choice, not necessarily the strategic choice. That's good. Any other questions? The yeah, last go one. ahead. Okay, I'd like to go. Uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, what you are doing. So uh, I'd like to understand what kind of uh, challenges are you facing as you are dealing with uh, young people and uh, which one is the biggest and how do you handle that? Yeah, that's great. I think one of the beautiful challenges of leading the next generation is that if if we think we can control or systematize or manage what I believe the Spirit is doing in the next generation, we are at risk of limiting what the Spirit wants to do. 
And so even in the work of Generation Distinct, what I'm trying to do as best as I can, I'm 27 myself and we serve 18 through 30 year olds, is we're trying the best we can to create systems for success while also creating space for the spirit. That's a real tension to, to hold. Because again, I could, I could hold every single person's hand as they walk out of our ministry and enter into their God-given callings. And I could try and have a system for it and a structure so it looks better on our numbers. But I don't believe that's my call. I believe my call is to create spaces and environments where the next generation can hear from the Spirit and operate in the Spirit, whether it ever serves my ministry again, whether I ever hear from them again, whether they ever come and attend my events again. It's actually not about that. right? It's about fostering whatever the Spirit's doing in them, giving them spaces to encounter the Spirit, and then sending them out to work in the Spirit. And so I would say one of the beautiful challenges is we need to create spaces where they can experience the Spirit, but not strip them of what the Spirit wants to do in them, and we release them into what God has called them to do. So, that's that's what I would say. Thanks for asking those questions, and again, thanks for staying. Dave had to cut out a little bit early, so we wanted to create just a few minutes for us to have a conversation about the next generation that we are so passionate about. Can Can I add one more thing to your point, and then I'm done? I've... I think we're doing a disservice as senior level leaders because there are some, I mean, I have three young women here that are incredible. Like a part of me, if I had the control, would be like, you know, I'm just going to have them have the mic and you guys can interview them because they are Gen Z, right? So it's like, let's reframe the questions to the generation that is actually in this space. And... That's my heart, but the only th- way that I think we can get there for really empowering the next generation to take hold of what God wants to do in and through them and through the future of the church, if we're running executive meetings in our businesses, in our churches, in the future of churches that we launch, and we don't have young people sitting at the table, we're missing out. And so my challenge to us as a community is when we are in different spaces and places and leading to observe the table. Because if we're not observing the table of who is there, who's proximate, specifically like, uh, you know, I'm married to a powerhouse woman, you know, specifically I think we need to talk about from a gender standpoint, like who is at the table? Because if we don't include conversations of everyone at the table, we're not going to bring the broad that Jesus wants to come back for fully. And so that's one thing I would say is, uh, as, as a leader is, hey, how do we create spaces and places in ministry, in, in businesses, in the nonprofit space, so that people have a, ta- have a place at the table to lead? So... Thank you all for coming. Thank you all. We'll see you guys at our next workshop in the next break. Thank you for listening to this Exponential podcast episode. Visit Exponential.org for more resources and join our community of like-minded leaders, pastors, and planters who believe in healthy multiplication.